Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. Match day six of Ligue 1 was uh, slightly overshadowed by the frantic end of the transfer window, from Lyon's disappointing draw with Tenmin Marseille to PSG's thrashing of Angers. It seems like anyone, like all anyone can talk about is who's staying or leaving or coming or not. In any case, Rennes dropped some points against their boogeyman Reims, and Lille are now joined top, and Ibrahimanyan is the new Habib Diallo, in other words, Sadio Mane 3.0. All that is in today's GFN show and more, as, uh, as always, to who play Ukraine and Portugal in this upcoming international break. I am your host, Pierre Paul Birmingham. Muhammad Ali, hello. Hello, guys. Good, good to have you on. Um, it's been an eventful couple of days for you, for Marseille fans, probably for a lot of Ligue 1 fans, to be honest. Um, and we'll get into that uh, in detail, of course. Uh, but uh, we have uh, Eric Devin as well. Ah, oh, every time. I'm sorry, Eric. Eric Devin. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, hey, Pierre Paul Homo. How are you guys doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm sorry. I, every week I tell myself, okay, today I'm going to say Devin, Devin. But in any case, great to have you on. Uh, guys, let's get started with, with Lyon Marseille 1-1. Uh, always meant to be one of the exciting fixtures in Ligue 1, uh, kind of uh, a big rivalry, which I don't fully understand, as, as I've talked about before, but uh, it usually gets uh, emotions, tempers running high. Uh, but uh, Eric, uh, this year, uh, it, it wasn't that great a football match. I mean, it, it rarely is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think that we saw... You know, first of all, credit to Marseille. I think that they played very well defensively. Um, I think that, uh, you know, and Leon weren't really at the races going forward. Um, but I think even with a few questionable refereeing decisions, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, we had, uh, I think Marseille played very well defensively. So it's a, it's a well-earned point for them. I think that that, you know, especially with the, the Cataway goal, it seemed like things could go awry, or the Cataway goal that wasn't given, I should say. This could go awry very quickly, and um, the way they, they recovered from that and continued to be solid, I think, was generally pretty good. Um, I will say what characterized the match for me on both sides was uh, seemingly a lot of flopping on both sides. I think that uh, that early red card for Dimitri Pius set the tone in a way that you know, perhaps, given how much VAR was used in this match, perhaps players thought a bit of gamesmanship could be used to uh, turn Stephanie Frappar's uh, eye or head or however one wants to express that uh, into giving out uh, more more red cards. Uh, it was a little bit frustrating to see. I think that the match uh, you know, should have been won and lost on its merits, not through play acting. Uh, and again, mm. that's not a, a criticism of either side specifically. It's because it, it was happening on both sides. I think that, that that's always frustrating to see. Um, but um, I think on the whole, yeah, it was not a great advertisement for the league. And uh, uh, I, I yeah. do think on that point, though, that the early red card that Dimitri Payet received three minutes after scoring Marseille's goal, um, I think that probably uh how do uh, i'm losing my words that reduced the amount of uh bad sportsmanship as as you say um that would have followed because I, in my mind i was making the comparison to that the the match between paris and marseille a few weeks ago in which the first red card of five was given out in the 
like 88th minute or something and really should have come a lot earlier than that. And even though a red card in the 17th or 18th minute or whenever Payet got it, you know, that's very early on and that's going to change uh, a lot of things for the team that receives the red card and how they're going to have to play for the rest of the match. I feel like um, in a way it was a good thing because even though there was still, you know, some cheating and so on, it, it was off to a strong start and that needed to to be, uh, you know, calmed down early on. But I, I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but that's the way I felt it. I mean, I don't think you could disagree much with the the red card itself. Um, mm. I know a lot of people in those sort of situations will, will you know, argue that you know on the speed of the replay, surely might look worse than it actually is. Um, but the truth is, the impact did come above the ankle. I mean, yeah, it was pretty. I think it is what it is. But I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced that um, sort of a red card would have stopped. Any potential um, bad sportsmanship that would have come along at the end of the game. I mean, you know, I guess Marseille were pretty clear in the PSG aftermath. You know, the the bad blood that sort of emanated from that the controversy that this wasn't going to be a game to win dirty. Um, and I, I I personally thought the referee was a bit overzealous um, with the early yellow cards, particularly with Shalatasar and, and, and the rogue elbow, uh, mm. because that sort of uh, that sort of um, Situation was allowed later mm. on in the game. I mean, Leon's your first yellow card didn't actually come to the 87th minute. Um, Bruno Guimarish, I mean, that was surprising given that they were, were, were committing fouls at just as quick a rate um, as, as, as OM, um, particularly in the first half, Cadawere uh, um, in particular. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I thought that was a fantastic result for OM. Um, given the circumstances, given given the circumstances, you know, I, I would, I'd go as far as to say, I and mean, probably Eric won't agree with me. Had had it been eleven against eleven, I think OM could have stolen it. Um, no what no I, arguments. What, what I did <laughs> no arguments. see. Sorry. <laughs> no arguments. Yeah, no arguments. Yeah. <laughs> because what I, what I saw was the continuation of a very very organised um, OM, and that's this is what comes. Um, with Andre Villas-Boas, you get organisation, you get stubbornness at the potential cost of aesthetic football, um, which is fair enough. But this is, again, another fantastic away performance. Um, and against Lyon, especially, you know, last year was the same with when Alvaro sent off an around the hour mark. This time it was much earlier on. And you were thinking at 18 minutes, I mean, you know, Marseille might have gone down 1-0 but Leon were dominating. They were just hugely inefficient in the final third. They, they were unable to to collect their chances. For that, you have to look at the players as much as you have to look at mm-hmm. Rudy Garcia because the statistics were massively stacked. But OM kept resolute. In fact, I saw much of the game plan just recycled from Paris Saint Germain, where you know to nullify wide players, you just you know you just operate on a low block. You just keep very very organised and very um, you know tight. And um, yeah, I mean. You know, Mandanda again was 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 quite good last night, but you also saw Awa had a goal that was chalked off, which probably shouldn't have. Um, you know, you had chances galore. You had, uh, you know, there was I think one particular cross that wasn't tapped in by Dembele towards the end. Um, you know, on another day perhaps, but it was a very very organised performance. I mean, after you know, at 18 minutes, you think. 
this game will eventually settle into the host's favour because of the numerical advantage. But around the 70th minute, I got the feeling that if they haven't scored by now, they probably never will. Um, and so the, the end was actually more comfortable for OM than in most games of this nature. So again, it's a fantastic result. Obviously, it doesn't do too much for um, Marseille in the, in the short term because, you know, it's only two wins out of six to start the season. But that's probably two of the hardest games of the season already out of the way. Um, as well as, you know, facing Lille, who are now uh, you know, at the top as well. Saint-Étienne, who've had a great season. Um, it's not too bad. I think that's a fantastic start. But Leon, you know, having only got one win, obviously, but, they're only two points behind their way. Mm-hmm. That's just one win in six. And they've just looked more inefficient as the games go along. And obviously, it hasn't helped. Um, I guess, and Eric's probably better place to talk about this, but it hasn't helped the, the fact that, you know, players have been linked with moves away all the time. But also, Rudy Garcia is, you know, at fault. You know, I found his word today saying, our season begins on Tuesday. Um, very, very <laughs> strange. I mean, considering, you know, you've had you've done you've you've had a long period of lockdown, then you've had a fantastic Champions League campaign where you've really built a lot of goodwill amongst the board, amongst the supporters, your own brand reputation, and, and obviously in French football. And the fact is you've probably kept your players, you didn't expect it to, but you've you've kept all your players, from the vast majority of them anyway. Um it's fantastic. Um and yet you know, it's, it's it's a bit of muddled thinking. A muddled lineup last night. We don't really understand why players like Bruno were were on the bench. It just didn't work out. So there are questions for him, and well, those questions will continue to be amplified. I, I think it's quite um, telling that we that we started by talking about the discipline problems because, it, to some extent, it felt like these teams didn't come to play good football, but they came to, uh, you know play the rival and in a kind of in a kind of mean-spirited way where it wasn't very uh uh how should i say this i mean i it didn't it feel like a, it either... was a negative match yeah very much so i mean that's you know and mm-hmm. I, I don't think mo i don't think you disagree with this I and mean, this has been a negative match for much of the last seven or eight years yeah. You know, I mean, what we're seeing one one draws. What you but know, what we what, saw one no win. It's it's you know, what do we call those binary binary scores in terms of the you know binary code <laughs> ones and zeros. Um, but it's no five five. I'll give you that. Right. Yeah, and I, I think you know part of that obviously is I think part of the you know reality uh, you know of the French game in that in terms of you know they're you know these clubs are both losing players. Um, that that are successful. I mean, I don't know. Even even look at the departures of you know a player like say Gignac or or um, or Gomis from Marseille. I mean, you know, or Lacazette or Toliso. I mean, you know, the, the cha- but go oh. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just just to interject there before before I you know do you, do you really think that this is a negative match considering that I mean we've had a couple of years of of binary results. I think between. 20, 2013 to 2015, that was probably the case. 2016, where you know it'd always be nil nil, one one, or or the or the customary Leon home win. You know, I'm having one that they've been for years. But I thought that over the last two years, particularly the bad blood that's emanated between the two clubs. I mean, I you know you had the three two of the Velodrome, four two of the Group mm. and then last year Leon Leon winning three nil at the uh, at, at the Velodrome again. And then I thought obviously the two one 
win for Marseille in November. I mean, it, it perhaps wasn't the greatest quality of match, but it was full of drama, full of colour, um, amazing goals, great subplots, and some controversy as well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, guess, I mean, negativity, I mean, there has undoubtedly been a couple of negative matches, but over the last two years, perhaps, it's been, it's, it's given quite a lot. That's not unfair to say. Yeah, I guess I guess I would re- revise that a little bit. I think that mm. <clears throat> what we're seeing perhaps is more that it was just one-way traffic and that mm-hmm. it was perhaps, perhaps frustrating is a better word to say that, you know, that the Garcia couldn't make changes more quickly. I mean, Kataweri and Tokokambi were awful, awful, awful. I mean, you know, poor first touches, poor passes. Um, I mean, really below the quality that a team with the aspirations that Leon have need. You Although know, Toko's, the, Toko's turn on the goal that wasn't counted was really good. His and one shot, shot his one shiny yeah. moment. No, that's true. That's true. But I mean, I, I, I don't think that he or Kataweri, I mean, what was, what was Toko Kambi's position? Yeah. Right? I mean, where was he even supposed to be playing? I, there was no balance because the whole team was playing on the right. You but, know, but it was such a strange lineup, right? I mean, just, I don't disagree with that, but mm-hmm. his drifting to the right as well as so much of the play being funneled through Dubois, meant that Leon were unable to spread the pitch against 10 men. And, and that played into Marseille's hands. Again, not taking anything away from the performance that they delivered. Um, and they even had chances on the counter, Marseille. But, you know, Leon, again, looked you know, so bereft of ideas. And again, thou our goal, or not goal, where, where Mondando was judged to have been fouled, uh, should have stood. Um, but still, you, you know, it's and it was still a very frustrating evening from a Leon perspective in terms of tactical coherence and individual performances. Um, I mean, you know, Awar had a bright first half, sort of maybe faded in the second. I, you know, why wait until seventy minutes to bring on Depay or Dembele? Why not bring them on in halftime? Um, you know, use that, use that, use that uh, that disallowed goal to. to to motivate, uh, to motivate things. I, it was just, yeah, really, uh, as much as I said on the previous show on Thursday, just a really, really disappointing uh, outing again from Leon. But then on the other hand, I mean, a guy like Depay is, you know, when he does come on, he doesn't really put in a lot of effort and he's probably thinking about the potential transfer to Barcelona, which we now know is not going to happen. And, you know, telling himself, oh, I don't want to get injured which is something that Garcia can, takes into consideration when making that lineup and leaving his captain on the bench. Well, I mean, how about quality in terms of a first touch or ability to finish? That was what, yeah, for, by but, and large, Toko Okambi and Kataweri don't yeah. seem to have right now. I mean, Toko Okambi has had good spells in his career. He was fantastic in that season in Angers. But, you know, Kataweri is obviously a capable scorer in Ligue 2, but... I, you know, I, I don't see if either of these players is a primary attacking option going forward, how Leon expect to have to have goals. He's got to be playing Dembele and Depay, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation. As we, as he, and he even said, I mean, this is something said recently, you know, I'm making my lineup based on who's a Leon player. Well, then why are Dembele and Depay on the bench? You know, you've got your two leading scorers. And, and you know, and again, there's there's been issues reported between the two of those players. Um, that they they don't look for each other in the way that you would expect to strike partnership mm-hmm. to, but again, you know, if, if these are your ambitions, that is a top three finish. The manager has to sort this out both tactically 
and personnel-wise. If there's an issue with the two of them, sort it out or, or, you know, or pay the consequences yourself. That's the manager's job. It's not just tactics and man motivation. It's, it's mm. making sure that the players are all on the same page. I, I definitely agree that you know, there are problematic aspects to how Garcia comes to this match. And like Mo said, you know, when he says the season starts tomorrow because that's when the transfer window ends, that's a terrible approach. You can't just write off the first six, six games. You can, you know, there's still points to be taken there. Although, um, but 10 years ago, Leon lost five of their first seven matches and finished third. So, <laughs> strange thing. No, I mean, that's possible. Yeah, I'm not saying you're, you know, <laughs> getting relegated here. Um, but uh, it's, it's still, you know, disappointing. Um, but one bright spot for Leon, Eric, um, in uh, Melvin Bard. I had a lot of questions over the exodus of fullbacks this summer um, <laughs> in terms of Tete, Raphael, and, uh, and Kone all, dis- dis- all disappearing, all departing. Um, but I think, in, I think in Bard, you've got, yeah, a, a credible option uh, at left back. And especially, you know, he would allow Leon to play in an orthodox back four. Mm. He had looked really bright um, in, in some friendlies uh, in, in preseason. Obviously did not have, did not get a chance to feature in the Champions League. Um, or not extensively. Maybe he came on. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I think he's a player who's looked really bright uh, prior to the season. And I think, you know, has a real chance to mm-hmm. nail down that starting left-back spot. The other thing that follows on from that, too, is that we've seen um, Maxwell Cornet be an effective option on both flanks. His versatility, uh, if Bard is a starter at at, at left back will allow him to play in a more natural role in attack and I think creates a balance. I know we saw it down the back end of the 15-16 season, um, Leon uh, playing without Nebo Fek here, uh, were able to climb back into the race and eventually, I think even finished second that season, if I recall. And it was down, a lot of that was down to the good performance of Cornet being played in a, in a freer role. So he has that capability. He is getting consistent. But yeah, Bard is fantastic. He's got a, a good physical presence about him. He's put the ball at his feet. Uh, you know, nice cultured left foot. Um, really impressive. Um, um, okay, so uh, from a transfer point of view, Lyon, uh, obviously, as everyone knows by now, uh, Depay stays, Awar stays. Uh, to, uh, tr- Jeff Van Adelaide's uh, potential move to Hertha Berlin is now, we know, not going to happen. So it's going to be a little bit awkward for him. Uh, to be finding himself back in Lyon when he has clearly said he wanted to go. There is talk as the time of us recording about a late offer from Nice, but uh, by the time this pod comes out, uh, you know, you guys will know whether that happened or not. Um, what did happen, and you were speaking of fullbacks, Eric, is Mattia Di Cilio from Juventus. Yeah, I, I mean, I've only seen Juventus a handful of times, but I mean, I think 40 caps for the Italian national team, ability to play on both flanks. Uh, does give Leon the requisite depth that they need uh, that they need in those positions. Um, I was, you know, I mean, Sonali Diamandes looked impressive in flashes, but I don't know that he's really a right back. Um, I think he's more of a central defender, given how he's played for the Leon's very few sides. So I think that layer of depth is a is a fairly canny acquisition, and you know, I think is also, mm-hmm. you know, strays away from that model of buying Brazilian that I think has been a bit of an issue. Uh, you know, I know not all of Juninho's acquisitions have been Brazilian players, um, but enough of them have been that it strikes me as being problematic. So the fact that he brings in just 
a player who has quality and who is experienced and who will be hungry for playing time, especially ahead of the European Championships. Um, I think that's a that's a really canny move. Mm-hmm. And Mo down in Marseille, uh, in terms of transfers, uh, we have some intriguing deals between Marseille and and Bayern Munich. Bounassar going to Germany, Michael Cuisance coming back to France. Uh, we also have Maxim Lopez uh, off to Sassuolo in Italy. And uh, is that looking like it for now? Um, yeah, actually. I mean, we're at the time of recording about 90 minutes from the end of the window. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, Bounassar, I mean, that is, I think, <laughs> the epitome of a great deal for everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, I, because... Um, I mean, he's he's not really a surefire starter for OM. You know, Hiroki Sakai is 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 there right back, and at times when Sakai has had to deputise or was injured or whatever, so has come in. He's also proved very versatile. You know, last year with with Torvan out, I mean, OM had to um, really use him a lot um, mm. further up the field. Um, but obviously, you know, it's it's been now three seasons where he's. Um, in his new job as a right back, and he's he's proved really really well. Um, but you know, he is a, a somewhat you know rotation bench player ish, and for him it's great. It's great that he's fallen upwards to, to buy. Actually, like for Lyon, for this is going to mean uh, a somewhat of a fullback shortage for Marseille. You know, well potentially. I mean, again, we we only we were assuming this. Um, yeah, obviously but... given how deadline day at the time of recording has gone on. I mean, there's been so many names um, that have come in. You, you would have thought that they would they would have sold Saar um, and then got in a cheaper alternative or, or, or some sort of, um, you know, replacement. And, and, mm-hmm. and up until yesterday, it seemed that, that was true with uh, La Provence and other, other reporters um, uh, making it clear that you know the contacts were already made with the replacement with the successor, it was you know in Lequipe as well, um, and yet at 90 minutes before the deadline, there's nothing. You've had rumours of er, from everywhere from Kenny Lala, who I think would cost about four million. He's I think a year almost before, at the end of his contract. You have uh, Fabian Sentons, who's had a really good start the season with Mets. Um, you've had also Sebastian Corsier, always a favourite French football who. I can't remember where he was lost. Uh, for some reason, Sevilla is in my head, but I can't remember exactly where he was lost. He was on loan at Espanyol. It was at Espanyol. But did, but didn't I've got, play. I've got Benfica and Sevilla, but it might be, it might be, um, yeah, I have no idea. Um, and then there's a, um, yeah, and then you've you had today two interesting names, which were uh, Sylvan, um, which is last name, absolutely. Um, escaped me it was uh, FC Basel's right back, um, who would have been an interesting versatile option, and um, Joachim Meile, the, the, the Danish uh, mm-hmm. right back, who has been doing pretty well in Genk and has been linked in with several Premier League moves, I think Chelsea, Southampton, and Burnley amongst them. Although that deal, which is the priority, um, Genk are uh, being too greedy. Uh, a 10 million <laughs> bid has been rejected. So you never know. It started so well uh, the day um, and it could end up into a rush because I think for OM, I mean, Cuisance is fantastic. Cuisance, you know, he's had injury issues, but he's got a lot of potential. Look fantastic at Gladbach um, and wasn't too bad in the, 
in the sort of fleeting appearances he had at Bayern, and I think he could add another dimension to what is now a very youngish midfield for OM. Um, Lopez has gone the other uh, to to Sassuolo. I mean, that's it's it's sad to see one of your own go, but I think for all parties, I think that was a, a move that was required. Especially he too was out of contract next year, um, as as was Saar. Um, so instead of you know letting these guys go free, it's best to get them out now. But mm. to have Amavi Nakatomo and uh, Sakai in in the Champions League um, would be would be difficult <laughs> to say yeah. the least. We shall see. Uh, so I, I wanted to ask quickly, Mo. Do you see this? Uh, I mean, do you think Marseille are going to switch to a four-two-three-one permanently now with the arrival of Cuisance? Do you see him as playing as a ten permanently? Um, it remains to be seen. I've I've heard nothing of that sort. I've seen nothing for that to to indicate that. I mean, it's going to be quite a packed midfield because you've got the the front three of um, um sorry the the typical three of. Rongier, Sanson, and, and Camara, and now you've got Strutman and Cuisance um, as well. Um, so there's, there's quite a rotation. I think he might continue playing 4-3-3, although I'd like to see a change because it's become a bit stale, um, you know, especially in games where, you know, Pyatt is, let's say, it's not the fastest anymore. He's not really shown um, intensity in his first couple of games. Yeah, of course... The creativity and the vision is still there, but I prefer to see him in a place where pace isn't really relied on too much. I prefer to see him in, as a number 10 rather than Cuisance. Um, and, but, you know, the fact is we don't have a better left <laughs> left forward. And maybe Luis Enrique will come in and, and have a great start, but Radonjic isn't really um, up to speed at the moment. It remains to be seen. I think he'll stick with 4-3-3 now. Um, it might be something to look at, especially... With an easier calendar coming uh, forward, I, I'd, I'd rather see a 4-2-3-1. From here, let's go to a club who has found their new right back. Alessandro Florenzi has scored his first goal for PSG. It was quite a nice goal. The first one uh, in a 6-1 win back on Friday against Angers. But uh, only PSG could turn a 6-1 win into uh, internal drama. Thanks to Leonardo's special uh, post-match press conferences. Uh, this time, guys, he was unhappy with uh, Thomas Tuchel's press conference the day before the match, in which uh, Tuchel was kind of uh, unhappy with the uh, lack of recruits and of replacements for a number of players who have left, Thiago Silva, Tomamanier, Chupomoting, and more. Um, guys, uh, what do we think of this tension between the manager and the sporting director in, in PSG, uh, who... It seems like they don't. Each of them doesn't want the other to be at the club. Well, I think the proof's in the pudding with the with the results that the Tuchel's had. I think that he, you know, I think by and large has overachieved with this team. I don't think that there's requisite quality in midfield. Hmm. Um, not not for the club's ambitions. I mean, again, to get to the last day of the Champions League, yes, but to get the results that this team had. You know, over the course of the season with with a relatively shallow squad, um, I think was impressive, and I think that you know Leonardo has this this you know this predilection for you know for Serie A, which has worked. I mean, if you think about maybe, maybe him bringing in Thiago Motta, Thiago Silva in years past, but I don't think that uh, in that right back position, 
that worries me. I, I think that uh, you know Florenzi's a decent player. He's not very fast. Um, you know, if your backups are, uh, I guess Colin Dogbo would be the backup, but he's really probably more of a center back. I, yeah, I, I just worry about this team being hamstrung in terms of the depth that it, it, it's going to appear to lack going forward. Um, you know, and you've got, you're going to need to replace other players too. I mean, Angel Di Maria, you know, a fine player, but he's 33 this season. How how long is he going to continue? Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really replace Cavani, didn't really replace uh, Silva. Uh, Irene Rabio, again, I know he was, his situation is a bit of another story, but I don't feel that there is uh, a, a proper level of continuity here. I mean, Mario Cardi, you know, yes, he scored some goals, but I think if that money had been spread around a little bit more, um, I think PSG would, would look much the better for it. I think that's that really could come back to bite them, especially given how compressed the group stages are in the Champions League. And again, mm-hmm. I know we might look at United Menu's um, <clears throat> stumbles this weekend, but there's a real chance PSG might not get out of that group. And I know that sounds silly to say, given the resources <laughs> that they have. But I mean, you know, we've seen Leipzig pull off some decent results. You know, we've seen we've seen Man U pull off some decent results. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Then where does that leave the club? You mm. know, I don't I don't think that their progress to a title is is going is going anywhere soon. I think that you know, having lost. Uh, two matches already, and they're still only two points off the top. Says all you need to know about about their prospects in Liga. But you know, a key injury here or there, and I, I think you know, what if Marquinhos gets hurt for an extended period of time? What if Mbappe gets hurt for an extended period of time? I, I think that PSG could really struggle in spots uh, given their ambitions, and it's a mm-hmm. I think it's a real problem. Well, uh, what do you think of? Let me ask you about the. The recent transfers. I mean, we should we should first mention that uh, uh, one thing that has heavily impacted uh, PSG's transfer window is the fact that uh, Mauro Icardi's transfer was this summer. So that sixty million or so they paid this summer that comes out of uh, of you know this year's budget, and uh, that was part of the reason why they have less money to spend later on. Uh, the other reasons, of course, are the same for everyone with the, with you know COVID and and TV money. Uh, lacking because of that. Um, but uh, in the past couple of days, the deals that have happened are Danilo Pereira, midfielder from Porto, um, and uh, Moise Keane on loan from Everton. Uh, it w- <laughs> My reaction to both of those moves was that they were a little bit random. I mean, I don't know Pereira very well as a player, but uh, I don't know what you guys thought. I mean, he's never left Portugal. He's 29, right? Like that's you know, we talk about these names that get tipped and never leave the league. William Carvalho is another one of these. You know, I, I think he has. Is... This is going to be an underwhelming answer, but he's played on loan in uh, in Greece and in the Netherlands. Yeah, I think that I think that's what you're saying is right. It's random. Yes, he played for Portugal and in the European Championship, but I. Uh, yeah, that your characterization of this as being a random move, I I, I, mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to agree with that. Um, I think that they're both of these, both of those signings might give depth, but I don't know that they necessarily Im- improve the team. I mean, Moise can't, you know, yeah, he he's shown fr- flashes of brilliance, but yeah, I just I, I don't think that any of the players they brought in are 
of the quality of, of, you know, of the players they've lost. I know people might poke fun at Cavani and Mounier's form had slipped a little bit. Mm. But I, I, you know, yeah, I just, I don't understand the strategy here. And I know that their hands are tied, but again, had that, had that money been used differently, um, mm. it, this, this looks a lot different. Yeah. Um, and PSG's opponents, Angers, uh, you know, this is kind of their, it, I guess it's become a tradition, a yearly six-goal uh, loss. <laughs> um, uh, but they made a fairly big signing today. It's the return of Sofiane Bouffal, return to Ligue 1, but also to Angers, which was his first club. Um, what do you guys think of uh, of that? Yeah, no, big fan. Um I mean, he's he's not had a really good sort of last couple of years. Um, yeah. And this is a player that sort of really did explode. Lille, who had a really good start in Liga about three, four seasons ago. Um, it's good. I mean, you know, it's better for these players to sort of come back to a league that they know pretty well to come. And, it, it you know, it, it, it does do well for, obviously, there's a romantic side of it. Obviously, he's going back to his first club, but... Um, it does well for the image of the league that players who've gone and had Premier League experience, who've done, you know, I think in his early part in Southampton, he's, he's, he, he did well, you know, over the last maybe season and a half, there's not much been going on. But um, mm. it's good that league as mid-tier clubs can benefit from the perceived quality and they can help them get back on track. We've seen many examples where players who... So, you know, I don't want to say failed, but really didn't sort of ignite um, across bigger teams, come back and do relatively well back where they started. And it could be just the thing that Buffon needs to rejuvenate his career. I mean, he's not exactly old, is he? I think he's in his mid to late 20s now. Um, it could be just exactly what they need. But also for Andre having lost Santa Maria, for example, um, you know, they and having lost Ed Nori, um, as well, it sort of does, you know, the fans are going to be very happy, but also, um, you know, it, it, it does sort of make their team a bit more attractive as well. Mm. And, I mean, the best we can hope, best case scenario is that, it, you know, it's a, it turns out like Gael Kakuta, who made a similar move, right, back to the club's youth to Lens this summer, and it is off to a great start. Uh, Lens, who beat Saint-Étienne over the weekend 2-0, well, a nine-man Saint-Étienne, but still... Good, good start to the season for Lens and, and for Kakuta in particular. Um, from here, let's go quickly to league leaders Rennes, who dropped two points uh, but are still top. They drew with Reims, uh, against whom they had not scored yet since Reims had returned to Ligue 1. Does anyone know who the last Rennes player to score against Reims was? I don't uh, remember. <laughs> Oh, it's five men. No, the answer is Usman Dembele. So okay. that goes back a while. <laughs> it's been three, four years now. Yeah, 2016. Um, but uh, two-two in this match. Uh, Eric, last week we were talking a bit, little bit about Reims. Um, uh, do you have a slightly, slightly more hope for them? This week, yeah. having seen them pull this result, result yeah, off. yeah. I watched this match uh, yesterday, uh, or no, was this yesterday? It was yesterday. Sorry, I watched a lot of football this weekend. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, yeah, they looked really bright. I mean, they looked solid on the counter. Um, you know, they and I, th- I think they, you know, played very heroically defensively as well. You know, maybe it was just a matter of just getting to grips. And you know, they've had some absences due to COVID and, and injuries and suspensions uh, to start the season. They they weren't able to maybe field as consistent as of an eleven as, as David Guion likes would like or would prefer. Um, but yeah, I think that this was, you know, I've seen them play three times this season so far, and I think that this was well, twice in the Europa League, three times domestically. So this is the fifth time I've seen them play. And yeah, it was it was as if someone had flipped a switch. They they looked opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, could have even won the match. Um, yeah, I I, I I I don't think that they're you know as in trouble as a club like like a Dijon might be. Um, so you know whether they can back get back to the heights of Chandi for Europe, I still have doubts about that. But I think uh, I think that there was a lot to take away from that match that that you know will will leave us will leave Davigian with a bit more job security which again is deserved <clears throat> yeah absolutely uh and meanwhile uh lille caught up with Rennes, and they're now tied on points uh lille had a three win three nil win against strasbourg mo lille have um it feels like they've been a little quiet like we haven't talked about them so much uh but uh they're up there top of the league somehow um, <laughs> you're not convinced somehow um <laughs> No, I mean, they've, I mean, it's probably because of their sort of, um, you know, they only scored three goals in their first, uh, sort of between, um, I think, their second to fourth games, or four goals in their first four games. But if you look back, mm. where they've, you know, beaten Rams away, they've drawn with Ren, they drew at the Velodrome, but they didn't really ignite in those games. They also beat Mets 1-0. Mm. You know, it was really, you know, one-off chances, you know, not dominate. I mean, they, they but also the four clean sheets. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but they've really kicked on over the last couple of games, especially you know the game against Nantes last weekend. It was really an unfortunate own goal uh, from Palua, Yilmaz as well uh, with a penalty. And you just got thinking, yeah. you know, Jonathan David hadn't really started well, well compared to obviously Ozinhen, who you know really hit the ground running this time last year. Um, there was just some inefficiency. You know, Renato Sanchez hadn't. Started them. I mean, defense was always good, and I think the defense has continued from last year, where they are very formidable. But now it feels like they've clicked. You know, they've gone up a gear. They've clicked. They're, you know, everything is now falling into place. You had Yilmaz now, who's who, who, who's unlucky not to have three goals in three games. Um, you know, he did score again at the weekend. You know, Renato Sanchez has come back off the bench now into the middle directly. Um, it's it, it's it's fantastic for them. Um, what we need to see now is whether they can remain consistent and also resolute because they are joint top, same goal difference, same points with with Ren. They have you know Europa League campaign starting. They're going to be in a very difficult group, uh, but they're also going to be playing the likes of Lens, who are very difficult as we know. We've seen. Then have a have a fantastic start to the season. It's going to be a very good Northern Derby after the international break. Um, nice and then Celtic and Leon, um, and it's you know it remains to be seen. You know Jonathan David still hasn't looked quite okay. He was substituted uh, once more on 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 Sunday, 
um, for for Yazici. I don't think he's he's only scored one goal now. Um, you know, there's not there's no concern so far insofar yet, but that's something that probably is going to be looked at a bit closer after after international break. But the, you know, the defense in particular, Botman, Celik has also mm. always been fantastic. Jose Font, who's been you know still evergreen in the defense, and obviously Magnon, who's who's as you mentioned has kept clean clean sheets. It, it's a great base to build on. But they're going to be having a look at those goals up front. You know, the midfield and defence are really pulling the weight at the moment. As as after Natasha break, they've got six very difficult games upcoming. For me, the jury is, is still out. Um, the reason why they are quiet is because it's been a it's been a you know a, a positive but timid start. Last weekend has maybe seen them turn a corner with a convincing victory. Um, and they're starting to sort of really turn the screw on the games. Mm. So I'd like to see what they do um, uh, for the rest of October. And also, Renato Sachin is coming back has has made a difference. I mean, he's been really good. He was good against Strasbourg. Um, you, you mentioned it there. They have a their Europa League group is Sparta Prague, Glasgow Celtic, and AC Milan, which is a terrific group. I think those are all Champions League teams. So that that'll, that'll be a lot of fun uh, to follow. Um, uh, let, let's let's turn to one more match here and talk uh, a little bit about uh, Mess, who beat Lorient three one with a hat trick from Ibrahim Anyan, who has scored six goals this season in six matches. In other words, he scored every single one of of uh, the goals that Mess has have scored. Uh, did uh, anyone expect Nyan to be the solution to Diallo's departure? No, I mean mess mess did right. I mean Diallo has been linked mm-hmm. with move with the move away uh, all season, but Neon had scored. Whoa, mess were still in league. Duh, I guess that would have been 2018, 19, 2017, 18. At a very young age, I think he'd scored eleven or twelve goals, mm-hmm. and you know was really seen as as an option as a center forward. But he was played often alongside Diallo, uh, you know, wide on the flank with with Nget or or. Um, Bulaya on, on one of the other flanks and really wasn't given a chance, but <clears throat> he had really stuttered to start the season. I mean, I, I, you know, he <clears throat> he didn't look look the sharpest and was snatching at chances. Um, you know, as we saw, uh, you know, I've seen Mets play a handful of times this season. Uh, he just didn't look of the requisite quality. I think about that uh, they, when Mets when Mets hosted Monaco, um, he yeah he really looked off off the boil and not up to mm. it, frankly. Uh, but I think that these sorts of goals can give him confidence. He's still a very young player. I think he's 21. Um, and I think that, yeah, moving forward, you know, um, there's a lot to like about this mess side. I mean, Mo mentioned Santana's earlier. He's a player who I've been a fan of for quite a while. Um, that midfield of Maiga, Angban, and Pajo really offers a good balance of, of, um, of power and creativity. And I think you've, you've got creative options as well with, with Bulaya and Get. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, mm. I guess they can't reinvest that Diallo money at, at this point in time. Yeah, but, too late. <laughs> but again, yeah, I, I think that this, you know, Onion's got uh, the manager has a lot, a lot going for this side, and I think that, you know, for a change, uh, you know, mess mess look to be, you know, probably closer to mid table at this point than they do. Again, a lot will depend on on Jan. Obviously, he scored all mm. their goals, but and there's a lot to be said for this team. 
you know, maybe moving through the gears. Again, you know, this is also a Lorient side that, uh, I mean, I really didn't look up to it. Um, I think that they were certainly missing Gerbich, um, and that perhaps proved a problem. Um, but again, you know, the result is the result, and I think that it's something they can grow on in term, grow and build from in terms of their confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of of Habib Diallo, uh, he uh, today completed. Well, you mentioned they can't reinvest uh, that money. I think even uh, if they had gotten it earlier, that money wasn't for reinvesting because it seems like they had budgeted Diallo's sale into the club's kind of uh, running budget for the season, and and you know they desperately needed to get that, uh, which is why they had to sum today for less than uh, they had hoped for, but also to a rival, a regional rival in Strasbourg. And the whole uh, situation seems a little bit chaotic. Uh, someone has has leaked a uh, vocal message from, from Habib Diallo in which he says that he did not want to go to Strasbourg, that uh, the club forced him to sign there because uh, they needed the money and, and were telling him if he didn't leave, he would not be playing for them. Uh, uh, and uh, he's been saying that uh, he was saying that you know the club is not being run very well. That there's a lot of stuff that the fans or the general public doesn't know about, and um, you know that kind of uh, <laughs> uh, revelation and the medium through which they were it was published is is uh, definitely a surprise. And it's it's uh, a little sad to see that end in that way. I guess for for Diallo who was hoping for a, a bigger club. Um, but at least he'll stay in Liga, so that's good for us. Um, okay, uh, let's uh, turn now to our French phrase of the week, and then I'll ask you guys to you know share whatever you like uh, with us, open up the floor for you to share anything from the weekend. Uh, but first, the uh, expression this week is the surface de réparation. Either of you know uh, what part of the pitch that refers to? The penalty area, right? That is correct. Um, surface de réparation, which is literally translated as the reparations area, is what we call the 18-yard box or the penalty box in French, mm-hmm. which is kind of a wordy phrase. Um, I've always been a little bit surprised by that, but um, the meaning is... Well, reparations in the sense of, uh, you know, reparations as in compensation, as in as in uh, making up for an injustice. Uh, and uh, obviously that's referring to uh, penalties and uh, compensation for a foul in that area. Uh, but it's uh, one of those uh, very specific and slightly wordy phrases in French, which goes on to get used in, in common language by everybody. So the reparations area is our penalty box. Okay, Mo, uh, what struck you this weekend that you want to talk to us about today? Um, well, it would be remiss of me not to talk about the transfer window. Um, All right. It's been quite hectic. I mean, in particular in Liga, you know, a lot of bit, a lot has been made uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic, because of the differences in the timings of the Mercato between, um, you know, the original French window, which had to be shut down for a little while, 
um, and you know the rest of Europe, particularly the Premier League and Serie A and La Liga, whose seasons only got going about three weeks ago. Um, but up until two weeks ago, there was practically no activity, shall we say, particularly amongst the the normal pretenders, the top six to eight clubs, which I think that take most of the column inches. But over the last four days, it's just been completely manic, and part of me wants to, you know, thinks. You know exactly what's what's led that on. Um, you know you've got um, Monaco who who probably have not been um, the main protagonists on deadline day for a very long time. You have uh, Saint-Étienne who are you know who've sold for Fana after long long sort of discussions and might be on a pole position to get William Saliba back who. Um, hasn't um, yet sort of really got going for Arsenal um, for mm-hmm. probably reasons that is away from professional football. Uh, you've got Ren who've had a fantastic window, honestly, fantastic window. They just announced Jeremy Doku from Anderlecht, um, the signing of um, Dalbert, the signing of Rugani, who is, um, and, and they're already on top of the table. They've kept Kamavinga, they've kept, uh, you know, they're going to be selling Rafinha later on this evening um, and ahead of the Champions League. That's, you know, they must be on cloud nine and, and you know, best wishes to them for the rest of the season. Um, and PSG, who can be practically a little bit aggrieved, PSG fans with their win, specifically since it started so well with Capermi Cardi, although everyone knew that was going to happen. Um, but the fact that, you know, it's Neymar mm. and Mbappe, the world stars, you know, having the likes of... Um, you know, loans for Florenzi, loans for Danilo, a loan for Moise Keane, uh, having, you know, having them play with what should have been an assembly, you know, a lavishly assembled club. It might just be the consequence of COVID. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really warm the hearts um, at the Parc des Princes. But they've just, there's been a, a lot of flurry of activity. And part of me wonders, you know, what's, what's led this on? Have, has there been you know, is it is it like you know those cycling Kieran races where everyone sort of just waits until somebody makes a move and then everybody makes a move? Um, but it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, it's good to see that they're recuperating a lot of funds. We've seen some very big funds come in um, in terms of transfer fees. Um, number one amongst them being obviously Wesley Fofana. Um, and I, I, you know, I I think it's going to change the dynamic a little bit. You know, the teams that have failed to strengthen will they be affected? You've got um, the likes of you know Leon down there, you know Rams who finished a fantastic sixth last year, already out of Europe, already winless, are struggling uh, in nineteenth. Even though um, you know they've they've kept a couple of players, um, and you've got Sanetien who and 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 Nice and um, and and Lila and Ren who've who've bought mm. in a couple, and they're they're at the top half of the table. So. We'll see how that affects the dynamic, uh, but it's been a very, very interesting Mercato. Obviously, it started a very long time ago now. Um, we are in October. Um, some it's people been too like long. To be, exactly. Some people love to see the back of it. But um, who knows? There still may be surprises, which might happen in the hour that's still to come post this recording. How about you, Eric? Yeah, I just wanted to give a nod to um, a, a really... Uh, unfortunate incident in the in the Sante match, uh, and that's a, the injury that uh, Inácio Scanago suffered. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. that if the club have announced his how long he'll be out for, but uh, it looks. I mean, don't don't watch it. 
it's it looked a really gruesome injury. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really a shame to see a player, a young player, who had really started the season well, kind of stepping out from uh, having been poorly used at Nice to have a really bright start and look to be a perfect start, a perfect fit for the uh, system that Franck Ice was is playing at Lens. And Lens looked to be, you know, we've seen the results they've recorded so far. They're going to be a match for anybody this season. Um, and to see a player who looked to be a really integral part of that, um, you know, suffer an injury like that was just really difficult to see. So just to say that, you know, I, I hope he's back on the pitch as soon as possible because, you know, having a team like Lance, you know, succeed in terms of grit and determination, uh, but still play compelling football is something that, you know, is, is, is going to be a good thing for this league any day of the week. So, yeah, to have, to have him depart as a result of that was really difficult to see. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you about the uh, derby in the south between Montpellier and Nîmes, which uh, sadly had to be played uh, behind closed doors. Uh, you know, they had allowed for a small crowd, but the Montpellier president said, no, let's play with no one because he knew, uh, he said, you know, it, it's not fair to allow uh, some VIPs or people in the, you know, kind of presidential seats and not the rest of the fans. So we won't have any fans at all. Um, and uh, that uh, turned out pretty badly for Montpellier, who lost 1-0 against Nîmes. Nîmes, who, I mean, this is historically a very unbalanced derby. Uh, this is the first time Nîmes beat Montpellier in a league match since 1992. Uh, so uh, they'll be delighted with that. Uh, it, it was in the spirit of uh, the history of Montpellier-Nîmes in that it was a, a bit of a rough and, and feisty match uh, as well. Uh, but uh, well done to Nîmes. And this is, Montpellier had won every home match. Uh, this season before this one uh so that that's a uh, uh somewhat of a surprise i guess uh the other league results very quickly have we haven't mentioned nice beat not 2-1 uh, i think not kind of made that easy by getting a red card in the first three minutes uh monaco lost at brest 1-0 uh they've been kind of up and down with their results since the start of the season and Bordeaux uh, beat Dijon 3-0. Dijon still last. Uh, before we talk about Les Bleus, some quick questions from our listeners. Uh, we have Phil asking us, will Bordeaux be back in Europe this year? Oh, well, you um, want to take that one? <laughs> yeah. I think it's an easy answer, but... <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a very easy answer, no. Um, I mean, they started off pretty well. Um and yeah, you know, they've had an interesting result. I mean, there's only six places to Europe, um, essentially. Um, had there been eight, you might have thought they might sneak it in um, via whatever. But unfortunately, UEFA don't have the fair play um, mm. Europa League place anymore. Um, I just think there are a lot of really good teams. I mean, PSG have already going to take one. You expect, I think, and it's interesting to see Ren back in there, in whatever guys it might be, the Champions League, Europa League, but they've started that well that I'm going to make that prediction. Um, and then you've got Marseille, Lyon, Lille, Monaco, who've, who've you know, started the season not poorly this time round. Um, and Nice and, and Saint-Étienne, mm. I think there's a lot of clubs in much better shapes. And they've, they're, they're coming into the season from sort of a big minus point obviously with the 
um, scenario with the coach. Um, you know, they've not really strengthened too much. Yes, Tom Abasic and um, uh, has in particular started very well. Adley, um, it, you know, not has, has not has not has not had a great mid, you know great start. The attackers haven't had. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 an ignited star. I mean, I think there's four goals amongst the likes of Kaluuya, Maja, and Udan. Um, I just think and, there's a lot of other clubs in front of them. Yeah, and winning three nil is not that impressive when it's against this season's Dijon. Uh, yeah. That's looking to be the case. Um, Simon asks us who had the best transfer window. I think Mo, you pretty much covered this. I think we would all agree. Ren, right? Um, had a had a pretty good one. Uh, Bernadette asks us, "How about?" I, I yeah. would agree with that, but I would also I would also give a shout for for Nice. I think that there's definitely some questions about how Patrick Ferris used some of these players, but I mm-hmm. think that uh, Guiri has a lot of potential. Uh, Hassan Kamara was one of the best left backs in the league last year. Ronnie Lopez, if he plays to the level he can, I think can make this team. Can make this team a force. I, I, you know, I, I, I think it kind of remains to be seen. There has been a lot of inconsistency, but um, if they can get, if Vieira can get those players playing to their respective levels, um, they could be a lot of fun to watch as well. Hmm. Bernadette asks us, how about Memphis Depay? Uh, looks like he's staying, but uh, I mean, I don't know if that's a transfer question or something else. I feel like, how about Memphis Depay? Is something that pops up whenever you have a conversation about Lyon in one way or another. Um, and our Monaco supporting friends ask us uh, thoughts on Paul Mitchell and Nico Kovac. Uh, I'll, I'll answer the Monaco question. I, I think that there's, there's a lot to like about that team. I, I know that they were forced to play um, a, a pretty young team with, with the... Uh, the lack of availability they had through uh, injury and, and suspension and COVID uh, this weekend, but and they unfortunately lost to Brest, who you know I think have been exceeding expectations themselves, uh, the Pirates that is. Uh, but yeah, I think every time I watch Monaco play, there's positivity. There's a really I think impressive burgeoning relationship between uh, Kevin Voland and, and Wissen Ben Yedder in terms of uh, the the connection they have on the pitch. Um, and, you know, I, I think Kovac has these players on the same page. They seem hungry. They seem eager to play. Um, and, you know, he's got a, a very fine goalkeeper in Lecomte um, that can, you know, perhaps bail them out in some situations. Yeah, I, I, I think Monaco, I'm, I wouldn't say they're, if we're going to say PSG and Ren are going to be the top two in that order. Um, I wouldn't say Monaco are a favorite for third, but I think they've, on their early results, they've certainly uh, set out their stall in a way that, makes me think that they're going to be you know compelling throughout the season especially if they can avoid some of these uh, discipline issues that they've had uh, to date mm-hmm. well thank you for your questions uh this week we had more uh non hour related questions than hour related questions so uh, looks like we're making progress um and let's finish up guys today with uh les bleus who are back for the international break uh it's both two home games, a friendly against Ukraine on Wednesday and a uh, Nations League match against Portugal on Sunday. Um, one of those teams evokes a very good memory of the last few years and the other not so much. Um, do you guys remember the last match against Ukraine? That was oh, the Sako yeah. race, right? Yes, that yes. is right. 
Reflector Brace. Uh, the Sacco Brace and uh, uh, was it Benzema or Ribery the third goal? Oh, how am I forgetting this? I think it was Benzema. Um, but w- what a terrific game at the Stade de France, which was really, I mean, can you, we cannot stress this enough, like the foundation of the Deschamps, of Deschamps team. Um, you know, that was the day where things started to click and without which the rest wouldn't have happened. Um, Adrien Rabiot is not available for the Ukraine match. He's in isolation after having been in contact with a COVID case. Uh, but meanwhile, guys, Paul Pogba is back for in, in the French team for the first time in one year and four months. That's a long time, but obviously that has to do with COVID and with uh, injuries and you know problems like that. Uh, it's just a shame, though, that he's coming back after that performance on Sunday. Um, I, can we expect him to be playing well for France? Or I mean, I'm not sure that France necessarily needs him to play well, given what we've seen from Camavinga. You know, in terms of in terms of being an engine in that midfield, in terms of creativity, I know they're different players. I know Pogba's range of range of passing, if he's on, if he's at his best, is can turn a match. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, I feel like that. You know, regardless, of, it, it doesn't seem like Deschamps is taking um, these Nations League matches especially seriously. So, you know, I'd rather see more of more from. Uh, you know, give give Awar a first cap. See more from Camavinga, and uh, you know, and see what and see what the younger parts of this team can do, and see who can really stake a claim for their their place in Euro twenty twenty one. Because the the albatross in the room in terms of midfield is is also that. Uh, I mean, do we see Musa Sissoko playing next summer? Probably yes, given his versatility and how much Deschamps Deschamps has relied on him in recent years. Um, and he's not in the squad this time, though. Um, is he injured or? He played yesterday, I'm pretty sure. So he's just not selected, I guess. Um, but I, I think Deschamps would take these uh, uh, Nations League matches seriously. I mean, the first ones were kind of weird, but that was also due to the timing and everybody's fitness levels. But, you know, I felt a little bit frustrated that we didn't make it to the Final Four last time, and I, I, I would want to do it this time. And obviously we got two wins already. Um and because there's a friendly before the Portugal match, maybe, like you say, maybe we could expect Kamavinga to start against Ukraine um, and bring Pogba on later, keep him a little bit fresh, um, but also kind of, you know, uh, give him a little bit of confidence back. Um, and then Portugal, we obviously want to beat them and get a small revenge. Uh, and I'm sure Pogba would be would be up for that, but, I, but yeah. Here, Paul, can can I honestly ask you if if oh, do we, do you really think that in starting Open Meccano in both of those two matches, he's taking Deshaun is taking quote unquote taking this seriously? I think he's using his. What's wrong with playing? What's wrong with playing Open Meccano? Oh, he was. What's that? Sorry, I think I've just jumped to mid conversation. I mean. I no, I think he was awful reasoning. in both of those matches. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I, he didn't play super well, but uh, but that's I don't a, think him playing is a sign of Deshaun not taking the match seriously. Well, no, not taking it seriously. I, mean, it's, but it's I, a, I think using it, as, 
he's using it as a chance to give younger players who might figure in his plans next summer yeah. a chance to see what they can do. He's not yeah. playing a first-choice 11 in every match, you know, you know, which I guess would be Varane Kempembe at this point. Right? I mean... Uh, it, maybe. Uh, I mean, I think these, are, about, these are the chances to give these players, um, you know, against bigger opposition. I personally, I think this would be a fantastic chance to see more variety in the France squad, particularly given COVID travel restrictions. I mean, it might have been a better time to actually might see the more domestic players involved to limit, you know, the need to to transfer um, across borders, etc. But that's that's just me. That's just but, my preference. But it is a balancing act between giving new players a chance because you know they might be very good options to select at the Euro, and between finding your best eleven. Right, those are two things that you have to keep in mind, given that. You know, there aren't that many matches between now and the Euro. But don't you think that he already has the knowledge of who he wants to take for that, for, for, for the Euro? Because to the Euro? Right, right now, it should have been in ideal circumstances, a new cycle. And we're sort of prolonging, you know, I mean, a couple of players who perhaps would have played in Euro in 2020 might not do so in 2021 because they will not afford play the full season because of age, etc. They're yeah. maybe less efficient. I mean, the likes of Giroud, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, 2020, he really had the more difficult 2020, probably would have stayed um, put. But in 2021, um, if he's not a first, you know, a, a, a number one starter, if he's not scoring goals, are we going to really persist with him? Especially, you know, post-Europe, like I said, we would have been in a new cycle. Mm. Well, but, I mean... That- yeah, it's a compelling question. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we've already seen uh, Matuidi eased out of the squad, but again, if he hadn't gone to MLS, he probably would have played this summer as well. I think that's a that's a that's a fine point. Yeah, yeah. But also, but also, I just also like to underline that, but I, you know, if the Euro does go ahead and at the conclusion of the Euro, and the start of the next World Cup will be probably 14, 15 months, and there's not going to be, you know, normally most teams, especially teams that have been successful. They have a complete new cycle, the first international following a, a, a victorious or, or perhaps shambolic tournament. You have, you know, all these players with few caps or new, no caps at all coming to the team and you bed them in um, either through early qualifying stages of sort of November friendlies. Now we've got the Nations League, which is a perfect opportunity where you're playing competitive fixtures. Um, and you know, post-2021, you're not going to have that because the next World Cup is going to be very, very quickly going to have tight fixtures, mm-hmm. tight qualifying right. from the back. Um, yeah. So now is the perfect time to, you know, not completely overhaul your squad, but absolutely look at who's not going to be there, who's really not performing, given the current restrictions. Um, the Nations League is a perfect time for that, particularly because no one really cared. I mean, no one was really going to care about the Nations League Obviously, last last time out was pretty successful, but this time, given COVID, it really is has the air of unnecessary, you know, competition next to it. Um, like I said, I personally would have liked to have seen better planning because if you don't recycle and if you don't sort of reinvent yourself at the best of times, you're going to get caught out. I mean, how many times have we seen likes of Germany or Spain after mm-hmm. a shambolic tournament? They point figures and said, well, we just didn't have the necessary turnover of players. We persisted with the same. Are we going to really persist with Musa Soko? There's Natuidi, who obviously is in Miami now, but hasn't officially 
you know, had his international career over with Olivier Giroud, who no one really knows what's going on, um, and so on and so forth. You know, I think this would be like a fantastic chance to really, uh, you know, there are so many domestic players who are doing really, really well that don't get the looking for the national team. I think having maybe six or seven players and, and turn it around. I mean, like I said, it's going to be, this is a triple header. There's no excuse to just have 23 players either. You can have 30 players now, up to 30. Um, I, I personally would have seen, you know, like Valentin Rongier, for example, having a, having a call up, but he's not going to start, you know, is maybe not going to be the main contender, but you never know for the next cycle. Yeah. Um, you have these young players, you know, our kind of thing, bring them along. Let's cut the, you know, sort of the old guard out. I think um, for me too, along with that, Mawasa, had he not been injured, could, you know, left back's a huge problem, I think, for me going forward. Exactly. I don't, I mean, yeah. We, we're not going to know if these players are international standards unless we give them the chance. And I'm worried, I mean, Deschamps again has just had a great couple of years and I don't want to be ungrateful um, or anything like that. But um, we're now eating into the time of development for other players' international careers now. Um, but I agree. And, but when um, I say, um, you know, playing his best 11, I don't mean, you know, the best 11 as we have known it. I think it's, you know, trying to find what the best 11 is going to be in the summer. So obviously that that's going to involve some some new players. And I think often what we see with Deschamps, I mean, he doesn't often, you know, bring a lot of new players all of a sudden in um, just to kind of try them out. Um and we have some relatively new names in there with Wamincano, with with Camavinga now uh, as well. And I mean, what I would expect is that um, he, he will try stuff out against Ukraine in the friendly and then play his best team against Portugal. Um, because the, the other aspect is... Uh, um, with regards to what the best 11 is and handouts evolving, you know, we're trying this new formation out with the 3 4 1 2, which uh, is really building the team around Griezmann, right? Um, who we can expect, obviously, to be there at the Euro and, and the World Cup. Um, I, I mean, unless anything bad happens, but um, and, and that f- formation hasn't fully clicked just yet. So it's something that, that needs to be worked on still. Well, um, it needs to not have Antoine Griezmann playing as a 10. Ah, well. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I love Griezmann. I think I have a lot of time for him, but I think that, his, you know, how, how he wants to get involved at his best is by making runs off the last man. And, but by having him in a creative role, you're not only taking that away from him, but you're, you're asking him to facilitate the match by being an attacking fulcrum in terms of creativity. And that's, that doesn't suit his strengths either. Mm. You know? I'd, I mean, I don't know. France don't really have a natural 10. I think that's kind of the problem with that situation. You know, Fakir looked to be that, you know, going years back before he was injured, before he injured his knee in that, in that match. I mean, he, that was, was that a 3-4-1-2 when he injured his knee in that match? I think it might have been. Uh, don't remember. Um, I mean, but that looked to be how Deschamps wanted to proceed at that point in time. But I think playing that system without someone who is a pure number 10, maybe that's why he's given some time, you know, we, we could, maybe, if Jonathan Kone were playing more frequently, maybe he, have, he would have had a shout for the squad. But I don't necessarily see that there's a ready-made solution to that position. 
it's, mm. it's, try, it's trying to shoehorn in all of Griezmann, Giroud, and Mbappe, but obviously to the detriment of one of those three, you know, if you're not, if you're not playing them in a three, it's to get Mbappe closer to goal. But yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily see, see Griezmann as filling that role as, as well as a player who's a more natural number 10 would. Could our supplement? I don't see our as a 10. All <laughs> I'm right. sorry. Uh, you That's know, fair. he's a fantastic player, but he's, I think there's, there's more of the box to box in his game or maybe being played wide on the left. I, I don't think he quite has enough. It's not a, it's not a knock on his tactical or, or technical ability or anything. I just don't see him as being quite the creative presence that a number 10 would have. I think there's a little bit, I wouldn't want to say prosaic, but I think there's something a little bit more um, conservative about his play. He doesn't have quite the flair that I would want a number 10 to have. <laughs> well, I, th I think my conclusion from this converse conversation is that, the well, I now feel like the stakes are higher than, are higher than I felt <laughs> before we had this talk uh, for the next couple of games here. I'm trying to figure out what works and, and what doesn't. Um, because it is true, there's not a lot of matches before the Euro. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll meet again next week and, and see how it went and, and go over it then, I guess. Um, so that's all from us today uh, here on the GFFN show. For all the latest French football news, you can obviously follow us on Twitter at GFFN or uh, have a look at our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. Thank you, Eric. Thank Cheers. you, Mo. And uh, we'll be back next week. Always a pleasure. Thanks, as always, for listening. <laughs>